In this series, uh, we're talking about Sabbath. We're talking about Sabbath rest. Uh, and Sabbath is not just not doing. It's not just a place of uh, not working. Sabbath is this space that God has given us where He promises to show up. It's a, it's a place where there is a very particular type of playing and praying with God. It's a place where we let go of all of our labels, of uh, the titles, the weights of responsibilities and fears and all of that junk that life gives us. We lay those things down. And we step into enjoying living in that moment with God. And in that, there's a type of a, a childlike conversation that comes out of that. There's a type of prayer that happens in that space, which just doesn't happen anywhere else. And so in this, this thing of Sabbath, it, Sabbath, we learn about it in the same places that we learn about the law. And so with the law, there's always some deeper meanings, right? Uh, surely God was interested in more than do's and don'ts. Surely there's more that his heart was in, interested in on this topic. So what's happening? And if Paul is going to show us that the law was only the shadow of something much bigger and broader and more beautiful, then what was the Sabbath the shadow of? And, and so we're learning in this series that Sabbath is an invitation to the type of Garden of Eden relationship that he's always desired to have in us, what he's going to restore when Christ returns. But this place of, of relationship is available to us now. But the odd thing about this is there is a very interesting way we enter into that. To enter into this connectedness with God, this place of being childlike, of letting all the way to sign. It seems so simple, but yet there's something difficult about Sabbath, right? I can't just not work. I have to find a way to wrestle off everything that my life is about outside of God to enter into this space. It's difficult. And so there's some things that are hidden in the scriptures about this that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. But I want to start with this. Every one of you was born behind bars. Think about that. Your first night's sleep was spent in a what? Some form. Okay, and, and again, I know our ages are all over the gambit here, right? Some shape or form, you were born into a, a thing of confinement, right? A cradle, if you were really interesting, like, uh, like my sister, uh, when she was a baby, she used to sleep in a drawer, in a sock drawer. They'd put her in the sock drawer and that wasn't me. That's just, so she, she's got issues. Uh, as you can imagine... <laughs> We, I was born and they put me with the socks and undies. That's where I went. That's my identity in life. Me and socks, we're about, about level, okay. So when you were born, the first place that you were put is into confinement. Limitation, right? When you guys have those nurseries now and like you want to get the perfect color on the wall and all the decorations and the fabrics all need to be perfect, right? What are you really doing? You're making the perfect jail cell for your baby. Come on, like soak it in, right? Here, we put all this love and care and we're going to put you behind bars. You stay right here. You've got one foot that way, six inches that way. And we're going to wrap you up in blankets so you can't move. Because we love you so much. We're going to put you in a straitjacket. I mean, just soak it in. This is how we show our kids we love them, all right? You are so precious and beautiful. We're going to wrap you in a straitjacket. We're going to isolate you into solitary confinement and put you behind bars. If you guys want to start the, the counseling for your children, I'll have some, some times out there in the foyer. <laughs> and you wonder why we're messed up, right? 
But there is a method to this, right? Why are we trying to restrain them? Why is there limitation? Why are we, the first moment these kids are born and they're beginning to, to breathe and to sense, they take in smells and sights and, and they're beginning to, to explore this new world, the first thing we do is we put them into a confined world. We put them behind bars. Now that, in culture for us, is okay, right? Have you been reported to the police for putting your baby behind bars? Are you second-guessing whether or not you should have been? <laughs> right? Okay. Todd, I, I'm sorry. I found out there's a family in the church. They, 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 they chained their child. They wrapped them all the way up. They turned the lights out, and they hid them behind bars. Beautiful. But why do we do this as parents? What is the idea here, right? There is a graduation stage with children, right? The, the first thing to lose is the straitjacket. The first thing we want to do is like when they get to the age where they can roll over, what happens if you don't release the arms? Come on, mamas, what happens? Because like you know, all you dads just watching football, you don't know <laughs> like, what's going on behind bars, right? But when your baby behind bars rolls over and the straitjacket's still on, and what can happen when here's the bed and here's their face? Suffocation, right? There is a need now, because they have more ability, they've graduated, we now are going to give them more freedom. Now we're going to release the arms, right? And then we're going to release the legs. And then as they get older, we're going to start to do more things. At some age, the bars are going to come off the bed. Now, parents, okay, uh, I'm not sure like what, your, what your approach has been, but some parents do little like, the, like the, the full cage and the half cage. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Where like the, the crib turns into like a bed. Okay, nods, all right. And it got like a half cage. The idea is like we don't want our kid to roll out off of the bed and fall on the floor, correct? So our kid has had a cage their entire life, so now we're going to go to half a cage. We love you and we trust you. You're going to sleep with only half of your room behind bars. Amen. This is great. Now, I want you guys to keep laughing, okay? I'm not saying you're bad parents. All right, this is just the way that we've been taught the parent. Amen, all right? And so what's going to happen after this, then we're going to take the bar away. And then all of a sudden, at some point, we're going to begin to put new things in their room. Now there's new toys. If you're uh, interested in this, you can also you can give them a TV in their room. Mixed feelings on this one, okay. And then at some point, we're even going to begin to help them go find their own room. And we're going to pay for it, whether it's college or we're going to help them get their first rent and their first apartment. And then what's going to happen? Then we're going to take even that restraint off of them and we're going to continue to back away and back away and back away. The confinement, the limitation is going to get less and less and less. As this child shows us that they are mature enough and able to live without restraint, to live in a place of freedom, we're going to give them freedom. The restrictions, the prisons, the bar comes down. Now, even though it's natural for us to put babies behind bars, is it natural for you to be behind bars when you are 30 years old? What happens if you're still sleeping behind bars when you are 30 years old? What happens if you are in a straitjacket behind bars at 30 years old? What if you are in solitary confinement in a straitjacket behind bars at 30 years old, right? There's a problem here, right? There, there, there needs to be a, a maturation into freedom, right? The idea of growing and maturing is that this child is going to come to a place where they can handle freedom. There are two reasons that we place limitations on people. The first one is self-harm. We do not want them to hurt themselves. 
The second reason that we place limitation is harm of neighbor. We do not want them to harm anyone else, right? So when your kid is in the car and you have them strapped into their chair and they cannot move, okay, we're not doing that because we don't love them, right? We're saying we're trying to protect you and everyone else on the road. What happens if you put your seven-year-old behind the wheel? I love you. Here's just all the freedom you would ever want. Amen. You are not protecting them or who? Anybody else, right? This is the idea of restraint. Now, we're talking about Sabbath, and we're also going to talk about giving, because I figured, you know, as a pastor who hardly ever talks about giving, the one Sunday I should do it is on Pastor Appreciation Sunday. So the baskets will come by every 10 minutes, and we're going to pause to watch you. How much do you appreciate your pastor, James? Really, $5, that's it? <laughs> and so we're talking about giving and Sabbath this morning, all right? But I want you to understand this. We're going to use Sabbath and giving, but we're talking about a much bigger picture here. What I'm really doing is telling you how the Bible works, how God is at work in our lives, okay? And so with this idea of Sabbath and giving, I want to talk about the uh, Ten Commandments. I love how it starts. Now, we talked about this last week. In Exodus 20, verse 1, it starts this way. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. Slavery is what? Slavery is confinement, right? To be limited, to be pulled back. Your your freedom, your abilities, your potential, what you can do is restrained, right? The mental image is of almost someone just like wrestling with you, trying to hold you, to pin you down, right? So we're talking about here in Exodus, if we're talking about the slavery of Israel to Egypt. Now this starts somewhere else. This doesn't just start out of the blue. What's interesting about this, it starts with Joseph and his coat of many colors. Who has ever been to nursery? And we heard about that story. He had a coat, it was really pretty. His brother didn't like that, they beat him up. All of a sudden he wakes up and he's with Pharaoh in Egypt. Awesome? We got it? Wow, okay. I'll be talking with the nursery director and the kids church. We're going we're gonna to do some more Bible studies, right? Who is Joseph? Here we go. What's interesting about this is that Israel doesn't just pop into slavery. There is a situation where we see Joseph is put over this word called surplus. Egypt is busy trying to accumulate more and more and more and more. And what happens is the person who who is in charge of this is Joseph. And so when the land begins to have scarcity, meaning there's not enough for everyone, everyone turns to the one place that has more, and that's Egypt. And we see that Israel actually moves into Egypt because of this this safety they found with Joseph. And so they begin to move into Egypt. And then this people group begins to thrive and prosper so much. They begin to accumulate their own wealth and they begin to grow in number. And so when Joseph dies and Pharaoh dies, when there's a new Pharaoh, all of a sudden, in a matter of days, the attitude towards Israel changes. And then we see all of a sudden it changes in one verse and they go from people who lived in Egypt to people who were slaves to Egypt. Changes in one verse in the Scriptures. And so we end up seeing a a jump of a few hundred years here. And so now we're in a context where the only people alive, the only people of God, the Israelites who are alive, have only known one thing. Slavery. Now the Apostle Paul, he jumps on this image of slavery. Understand this. The Scriptures are, are built on stories. They are layered on top of layered of stories. One of the most easy ways for us to understand anything is through story. Like when someone begins to share their experiences, it helps us understand things. If I break it down with like definitions, that's a little bit of understanding, but stories kind of brings us into it. 
So the scriptures are built, they're layers of stories. And one of the foundational layered stories is the story of Exodus, meaning when God brought Israel out of Egypt. And Paul uses this to talk about our slavery to sin and salvation out of sin. Now remember, we're layering stories. So your ability to understand the slavery, the type of slavery Israel experienced with Egypt helps you understand the type of slavery that you, the other types of slavery you are going to experience in life. So what happens here is we have this understanding where no one alive has ever known what it's like to be free. Now this is difficult for all of us, okay, so we're going to use our imaginations this morning. Now I know like we're all adults, that's not very adult. I want you to use your mind to imagine things. Is that asking too much? Anybody? Okay. First of all, imagine this. Imagine if you've only ever lived your life with chains on your legs. So imagine only being able to take short steps, right? Do you see it? Do you feel the chains on your, on your ankles? The kind of bruises, how hard the skin would get there? Imagine what it's like to live your entire life and you've never known what it's like to jog. You've never known what it's like to jump. You've never experienced running before. Now, I don't like running anyway. I'm not sure if anyone, like, huge fans of running. Anybody? Okay, you guys aren't too sick. That's good. Okay. There are people who just love to run for no purpose. Like, are you running from something or to something? Okay. I'm I'm the only one who thinks running is silly? Okay, whatever. You better stay with me this morning, okay? We're going to have fun. Running, there are people who love to run. But imagine if you had never experienced the freedom of running, air flowing through your hair, right? If you, know, if you still have hair. You got me? I have to wake you up somehow, right? There is an experience of this that they've never had. Imagine this. Imagine never being able to control where you are or what you're doing. Imagine a life where you've never known what it's like to have a choice. Just think about that. Never choosing what you eat. Never choosing the scenery that you're looking at. Not choosing what you do with your time or your energy. Not choosing what happens to your children or to your family. You have no freedom. Now the story goes like this. God intervenes into the situation. He becomes the God who frees Israel, right? And so if you guys have your Bibles, go to Exodus 14. Oh no, I chopped it off. If you guys could put that on the screen for me, Exodus 14, verse 26 through 31. Apologize, I had that and I reprinted my notes. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving towards it and the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. I love that word, toss. It seems so casual, right? Tossed. Come on, you guys have to enjoy the Bible. It's great. Egyptians, armies, thousands of people, tossed them to the sea. Egyptians to the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry. Pharaoh's entire army that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand, on their left. Just pause for one second here. I want you to imagine this. Imagine this right with these chairs, the aisle. Imagine a wall of water on your right, a wall of water on your left. Just have that picture. Coming back to that. The Lord rescued Israel 
from the Egyptians that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians. The people were in awe of the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. That word rescued, look at that. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians. That word for rescue, yasha, salvation is what it means. Now, it's a very particular type of word for salvation. It means this, to be brought, to be led into Wide open spaces. Okay. Image here. This side of the, the walls of water. On this side is slavery. All I have ever known is restraint. I have never known what it's like to have freedom, to have choice, to have anything in my hands. I've never known what it's like to have power over my own life. Never. I've only ever known restraint. On the other side of this, this narrow walk, okay, is the desert. What do you see in a desert? Holler it out. Nothing. Okay, <laughs> amen, brother, preach it. Wide open what? Spaces. Now, it's a whole lot of nothing, right? You walk out there, but the one thing about a desert is this. You can see far because there's nothing blocking your view. When you walk into a desert, you go, oh my, look at that. Now, it might be ugly, and it might be desolate and dry, but it is free. It's, there's no confinement. There's no limitation. Wide open spaces, right? Now, I want to begin building on this image. I want you guys to keep this image in your mind. Understand this. When the Apostle Paul begins to build his, the doctrines of Christian salvation, what end up becoming Christian salvation. I want you to understand this. He's building on this imagery of the Red Sea, of coming from one place into a new place. But the one thing that I want to talk about real quick is this, okay? If I described a place for you where you had no needs, you never had to work for anything, all of your needs were met, all you had to do in that, in that space in your life was spend time with friends, with family, Enjoy the presence and the nearness of God and have absolute safety. There, there's no one around you. There's nothing to cause fear or panic or dread. All of those weights that you have, right? Because if you think about it, the majority of the issues and weights you carry come from having to meet your own needs and having to have fear. Toss all that aside. What have I just described? This sounds an awful lot like a place we talk about with harps. Clouds, golden streets. Anyone? Anyone? I've described what? Heaven. I've described the desert. A place where God provides for every need. I wake up every morning. I walk out of my tent. There's all the food I need for the day. What am I supposed to do today? Uh, is there work to do today? No, no, no. Just enjoy this. Spend time together. God is here. Your family is here. Your friends are here. There's no pyramids to build today. There's no rocks to, to chip away at. There's nothing to carry. There's no weight to weigh you down. This is a place for you to just enjoy. There's no enemy. There's no fear. All of the people, everything you had to fear is on the shore of that, of that sea back there. Every reason you had to be afraid is now gone. There's nothing to fear. Are you happy to be here? Is this a place in the scriptures we talk about as a place of prosperity and blessing and overflowing? God loves us so much, he left us in the desert. In the churches I grew up in, 
If someone was going through a really hard time, they would say, I'm going through a desert season. God's trying to teach me something. Which, maybe, right? But the connotation was, this stinks. Right? And in the scriptures, okay, the way we look at it in hindsight is the desert was something we had to go through to get to the good stuff. Right? The promised land. The land overflowing with milk and honey. It, it, it had streams and lakes. It was fertile. It had everything that seemingly the desert doesn't have. But there's something about this need to have more. Something about the accumulation. We need more. This food for today is not enough. I want more. All the possessions and gold that we got from Egypt is not enough. We need more. Enjoying family and friends and the presence of God is not enough. We need something to do. Because that's all we've ever known. I want you to understand something. See, it's one thing for God to lead Israel out of Egypt. That was just the first step. But how to get Egypt out of Israel was the next. If the Red Sea is how God pulls someone away from enslavement, from fear, from restriction, right? The desert is how He trains them to handle freedom. There is a progression here. See, the, the desert isn't the place we're going to, to end this journey. But it is part of it. See, there's nothing wrong with your kid <laughs> spending time behind bars. <laughs> Come on, that's good. Come on, appreciate the, the, the beauty there. Nothing wrong with your kids spending time behind bars. As long as they don't stay there. There's nothing wrong with your kid pooping their pants. As long as at some time they stop. There's nothing wrong with wiping your child's butt. As long as they're not in college. Did, all right, you got me? All right, there's nothing wrong with the desert. It's actually blessing. This is prosperity. This is abundance. It only becomes a curse when we stay there. We were never meant to stay there. See, your child was not born to stay in a straitjacket. They were not born to stay in the car seat. Your child is born to be matured and prepared for freedom. Wide open spaces. Possibilities. More. But see, the desert is not where God has to defeat all of Israel's enemies. The desert is where God has to remind His people who they really are. Who are you? If we take away everything you've ever known, who are you outside of what you did? Who are you outside of what Pharaoh said you were? Who are you outside of the things that you built? Who are you outside of the work that you could do? Who are you when all that is on the other side of the sea? Who are you over here when there's nothing to do but be? Who are you? And the truth is, there are even few people in this room who know the answer to that. I don't know. I want you to understand something. The way the scriptures work is that there is a place for us where we are in slavery. Here's what slavery looks like. Slavery looks like any time that your identity is being defined, that your way of living is being controlled, and that your worship is being misdirected by anyone that's not God. 
If my work, if my children, if my aspirations, if my insecurities, if my pains, if my fill-in-the-blank is dictating how I live, is dictating who I am, and is directing my worship away from God, I am already in bondage. I am being held back from what I was called to be. See, freedom is the place where I am free to do everything God has given me. It's the place where God says, look, all of this is yours. If you've ever noticed in the Scriptures, there is a continual theme with God where God makes man and says, look, all of the garden, all of this, look at all these trees, look at all of these animals, look at all this. This is yours. This is yours. This is my intent for you. Freedom. All of this. But, there's only one restraint. There's only one limitation I put on you but that one tree not that one see that one is mine that one is sacred don't touch that one all of this is yours but that is mine as long as that stays mine all of this is yours you're going to see a theme here when he goes to Abraham all of this is yours. Look, as far as your eye can see, I will give it to your inheritance. All the people who will come from your family, all of this is yours. Except for one thing. Remember, I'm the one who gave it to you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Moses, lead the people to the land I promised. Look, all of this will be yours. Except for this one thing. And he begins to break down these commandments. I love this. And so we get the Ten Commandments, right? And so it starts out with this caveat. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember this. When you hear that, interpret it this way. I'm the one who wants you to be free. If I didn't want you to be free, I would have left you with Pharaoh in Egypt. I want you to be free. With this in mind, here are Ten Commandments. Now, have you ever looked at rules as a... Freedom? Absolutely not, right? He starts with three of them. And the first three all center on one subject. How Israel treats God. I will be your only God. You will not make any idols, and you will keep my name sacred in your mouth. And the last six are all focused on who? How we treat who? Don't steal, don't covet, right? Don't murder, right? Okay, so if the first ones are all about God and the last ones are all about people, what's in the middle? Who knows what the fourth one is? I'm doing a series about it. Sabbath. What's going to keep you? What's going to anchor this into the ground? What's going to enable you to protect my place in your life and to protect the people in your life is one thing. Sabbath. Sabbath is where all of the things that I'm going to give you to be free. Freedom, as we're talking about with our children, always starts with a narrow path. Imagine those walls of water. It takes us into a bigger space, which takes us into a bigger space. The desert was always meant to be a bigger space than, than the Red Sea, a bigger space than Egypt, but it wasn't the promised land. There was even more that God had for them. 
what you have to understand is that there is the way, here's the way that Paul talks about the law. See, the law leads us across the sea to a bigger space. And then there's something called the law of the Spirit that leads us into a, a bigger space. I see it like this. I, I, uh, who likes hiking? Does anyone like hiking? It's like this. If you've never been hiking before, but you just love the idea of being in the woods, it might be good for you to have a guide. Would you agree, right? Uh, we're going to start with like the simple trails, right? It's, you know, it's like half a mile, one mile. It's basically, it's like a walking trail with cement, right? It goes around an ugly lake, okay? You understand? Okay. All right. And, and we're going to start with a guide. We're going to walk you by the hand. If my seven-year-old wants to start hiking, I'm not going to let him go by himself first. Okay, I'm going to be his guide first. The first experience of what it's like to enjoy all of this. You can enjoy all of this, but first, we're going to have to grow into it first. You're not ready yet. And after he graduates having a guide, at some point, he's going to be able to go down marked trails. You guys ever been down a marked trail? They got the little, little you know, um, painted things all on the wood. Okay, and, and it's like it's been, it's a beaten path, right? It's been walked many times before. It's kept clean, right? All the briars and the, the tree limbs are all kind of kept back, right? And all you got to do is stay on the path. It's more freedom than having a guide. It's a bigger space, right? But I'm still not ready to go out into the wild. It's, I'm, in the, I'm in the woods, but okay, as you guys get what I'm trying to say, right? What happens when I'm ready to leave the marked trail? Now I'm ready to, I'm, now I'm ready for all of this, right? But there are some skills you've got to have to go out there. I, I, I'll tell you right now. Idealistically, I'm ready for all of that. Um, if Myra comes with me. Because <laughs> I'm not ready for all of that yet. That scares me. There are bears out there in Mountainburg. And people feed them. What is wrong with people? I don't know what's wrong with people. I'm not ready for that yet. I'll be in the house looking through the window. Yeah, it looks like fun, you know. Bears like spam, whatever. I'll stay back here. There is a, a space where we start with limitation, confinement. And we grow into more freedom. And we grow into more freedom. See, I get this all the time. Well, Devin, see, I don't need to tithe 10%. Because see, the New Testament... It, it, you know, it told me I don't have to. Theologically, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. There is immense freedom in the kingdom of heaven. Immense freedom in the law of grace. You better believe there are wide open spaces, but guess what? You aren't ready for that yet. There is a space where you need to grow in to that. Because you know what? You're absolutely right. You don't owe God 10%. You're right. You're right. The Old Testament said 10%. You're right. You don't owe God 10%. But unfortunately, in the New Testament, it says something else. You owe God how much? Everything. All of it. Oh, uh, I'd like to go back to 10%, please. If there's anyone who wants to talk law, here's the thing. If you love the law, stay in the Old Testament because it's easier. Don't talk law with Jesus. Oh, sure. You guys want to keep the law? Awesome. Have you murdered? No? Okay. Coveted? No? Awesome. Have you ever hated your brother before? Okay. You're already guilty of murder. Have you ever thought with lust in your heart about the woman? Great. You've already committed adultery. Awesome. Would you like to talk law some more? 
I'll go back to the you know, you know, Ten Commandments. I'll do that. See, there is a place in the kingdom of wide open spaces. Guess what? There's amazing freedom out there. It's called the law of the Spirit, meaning learning to walk with God sensitively in every aspect and every moment of your life. Are you ready for that yet? Oh no? Okay, great. Let's stay on the marked trails. See, God starts us out on the guided, safe tours of the kingdom of life. Here's what it's like to walk with God. Safe, confined. It's not the freedom that you want yet, but it's all that you can handle right now. Do you know how to live a way to put limitations on yourself without someone putting them on you? 16 is a terrible year in life. Here's keys to the car. I'm not going to be in the car anymore. If they only knew the things I did in the car when I was 16, right? Freedom! We used to go racing. I wasn't driving when I went in the ditch. I was never in the car. My friends would give me their cars to test out, see how fast they could go. And then we would switch seats and they would try it. And then we'd always get in a wreck. I was ready for freedom. And then you mature in life and then you get a minivan and it's confinement all over again. <laughs> Anyways. It is true that the kingdom of heaven is full of wide open space. The God's intent for you is to live in a place of absolute freedom and grace. You're absolutely true in that. But for you to think that you have graduated and you're ready for that yet, that is the error here. You have to grow into that. See, the reason we start with a law, the reason we start with do's and don'ts is because it was never about the do's and don'ts. The do's and don'ts are what begin to teach us about the things we have to be aware of, of what it's like to listen to God, of what it is to know the intentions in my heart, to what it is to begin to be honest about my brokenness and my issues and the brokenness of people around me. It's teaching me that when I go out into the woods, not everything is going to be nice to me. Sometimes I'm going to have to know how to find water on my own, how to find food on my own, how to navigate my way home when I get lost. I'm going to have to graduate into that at some point, but I'm not ready for it yet. See, we still need the desert to teach us how to be free. God is already ready to give us freedom, but we aren't ready to handle it yet. We need to grow into it. And so the desert is not a place of curse or of anger from God. It is a place where God is inviting us into more. I have so much more for you. I'm not, the do's and don'ts were never about you. It was never about me. I don't need the do's and don'ts. I don't need the law. I don't need your 10%. I don't need any of that. I'm inviting you into so much more. You can have so much more if you would just grow into it. And there's no way to skip steps. We're going to start with do's and don'ts. Because when you start to see the do's and don'ts, you're going to start to understand yourself and your motives, your intentions for things. It's not about if you did it or not did it. Now it's about your intentions. What is going on inside of you? How do you view God? How do you view yourself? How do you view the people around you? And giving, for some weird reason, is one of the most powerful areas where our, our souls, our intentions are exposed. Because the one thing that we see all the way back in the Garden of Eden is that we have a temptation to always want more. You can have all of this. There's no enemy in this garden. There's no one here trying to hurt you. You can have all of this. Just not that 
I'm going to trust you to, I'm going to trust you to put the limitation on yourself. So there's a space with us with giving. Where from the Old Testament to the New, money is a consistent theme. How we handle our money is a huge theme because money is one of the most powerful idols that we've created. It is one of the most powerful ways that we break the second commandment. We craft for ourselves a new God and we're going to worship it. And the danger is not just that money is great and it does things for us. It's that money has the ability to tell us who we are. To tell us what we're worth. And to tell us what the worth is of the people around us. See, the majority of the wars in this world were not fought for survival. They were fought because they were worshiping the wrong God. Whether that God was from sacred text or that God was in the form of money or land or power, we do not know who God is. If we do not have the right image of who God is, of what deserves our worship, we do not know who we are. And if we do not know who we are and who God is, I will always misunderstand who you are. See, money will tell me this. Money will tell me it is what is to be worshipped, that I am only what I can produce and accomplish, and that you are my competition. And a competitor quickly becomes an enemy. So I just want to encourage you this morning. I know that the connection with money is, is a frustrating one. But Sabbath in our money looks like trusting God, resting and God as our provider. The first mistake we ever make is when we assume that money is not sacred. There are two things in your life that you've been convinced are not sacred. Your money and your time. <clears throat> well, Devin, I don't have to come to church every Sunday. <clears throat> You're right. But are you ready for that freedom yet? Have you grown into that freedom yet? Do you know how to live in a place of dependency on the people of God to where you need them in your life? And now when you miss a Sunday, you can't wait to get back. Or, or, or have you not matured to that level yet? To where one Sunday becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, becomes a disconnection from the body of Christ and an independent style of Christianity. Well, Devin, I don't, I don't have to give 10%. Sure, are you sure you've grown into that yet? Guess what? The goal of giving is not to give the 10%. The goal of giving is to grow into a place where you love the people around you more with your money than you love yourself. Where you trust God more than you trust your abilities or your employer or your work ethic or your promotions or your paycheck. But you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. The goal is to grow into a place of absolute spirit-led generosity where when God whispers to me in every moment, I can meet needs of people in all different places. That's the goal. But guess what? You have to mature into that place. And you've got to start somewhere. I'm not a big fan of telling people to tithe 10%, but I'm learning this as a pastor, that we have to start somewhere. It's never about the 10%. If you still have a, a relationship with God about do's and don'ts, understand this. If you need to start there, start there. But we're going to grow beyond that. In the area of giving, have you grown beyond do's and don'ts? Are you willing in your heart posture to live a, a year or two years of saying, okay, I'll give you 5%. Now I'm going to grow to 7% and I'll give you 10%. And then are you ready to graduate into living a life where I'm accumulating as much money as I can to give away. And if I lose my job, if I lose my paycheck, I don't lose who I am. I know who I am in Christ without my job title, without my paycheck, without my security. I know who I am in God. 
Are you giving in a way that makes you vulnerable to having to lean and trust God? Every single thing in the kingdom of heaven is about discipleship, meaning maturing into Christ. If you're not handling your money in a way that is stretching you to grow more and more in Christ, you are already mishandling your finances. If you need to start at 1% this morning, start at 1%. If you've been doing 10% for five years and it's easy for you, guess what? Go farther. If you, if you got all the way past that and you need to start over, start over. We are growing into Christ. And guess what? Every single thing that we're not willing to submit to God, this is the idol. This is what we truly worship. It's not about your money. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about growing in the image of Christ and worshiping God. Allowing God to define who you are. Allowing God to define who the people around you are.